then in our Bibles this morning to the gospel according to John. I'm going to read in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, if you're using a church Bible, uh, I think the passage is on page 1076. John chapter 10. Some ways we're going to look at uh, most of this chapter, but I want us to begin to read at verse 11. Uh, Jesus is speaking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon, as Jesus had done earlier, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? If you've read through the Gospels, one of the most obvious things you notice is that the first three Gospels seem to breathe a different atmosphere from John's gospel, the fourth gospel. The first three gospels are often referred to as the synoptic gospels because they seem roughly to stand and look at Jesus from more or less the same point of view with, of course, individual distinctives. But John's gospel seems to look at Jesus from a different point of view. From one point of view, we might say that the first three Gospels tend to describe Jesus from the outside, whereas John's Gospel seems more to describe Jesus from the inside. For example, John's Gospel is punctuated by what are often called the seven I am sayings of Jesus. He seems to talk more about himself, more about his inner life. 
In a way, we can sum that up by pointing out that in John 13, the author of the gospel tells us that at the Last Supper, he leaned on, he leaned into Jesus' bosom. And it's interesting, that's exactly the language that's used in chapter 1 of Jesus, the Word of God, leaning into the bosom of His heavenly Father. Uh, The prologue to the gospel, Jesus is leaning into the bosom of His heavenly Father. The prologue to the second half of the gospel, the author is leaning into the bosom of Jesus. And it's almost as though in these graphic expressions, John is saying to us, I, I listen to the heart of Jesus, and it's the heart of Jesus that I want to express as I tell you the story of the gospel. And here he does this in a much-loved passage, an extremely familiar passage, although from one point of view, it's a passage that has some little twists. For example, at the beginning of the passage, the shepherd comes and enters by the door in order to bring the sheep out. But later on in the passage, Jesus turns out to be the door. He's not the door in the first part. He comes through the door, but later on He is the door. And I think myself, what's happening here is, if you look at verse 6, I think you will catch what is going on. Jesus is using a figure of speech to describe Himself, but they didn't understand the figure of speech. And so, as He goes on with the story, He doesn't go back to the beginning of the story. As He goes on with the story, He explains more the significance of the figure of speech He's using. Don't you understand that when I speak about the shepherd, I'm talking about myself? And when I speak about the sheep, I'm talking about my disciples. So, the whole picture seems to be the shepherd coming to the house in the morning, in the village where the family has a number of sheep, and he comes through the door, and he brings the sheep out, and then he leads the sheep out of the village into the wilderness. And he's with them perhaps for days on end. And as he's with them for days on end, he himself becomes the door to the sheep. He lies across the door in order to protect the sheep in this instance from marauding wolves, from thieves. So, it's one long narrative about the shepherd coming and calling the sheep and leading the sheep out into the wilderness and providing for them, and it begins with a figure of speech, and then when it moves on, Jesus explains the figure of speech. I'm talking about myself and my relationship with my disciples And then it seems as though this figure of speech almost disappears altogether. And he says, I who am talking to you, I'm speaking to you as the shepherd of the sheep who is also the son of the father. And if you you catch that movement, I think you can easily catch the wonder of what Jesus is saying. 
a picture of a shepherd with his sheep that is really a description of Jesus, an explanation of Jesus' relationship with his sheep, and then these amazing words about the shepherd, Jesus, the Son of God's relationship with the Father. And in drawing us in this way, beginning with the picture, explaining the picture, and then explaining the reality that's expressed in the picture, the obvious burden of Jesus' teaching to His disciples is to underline how much He cares for them, how much He loves them, what He is going to do for them. So, I want in verses 11 through 17, especially this morning, to think about these two relationships that Jesus describes, the relationship He describes in terms of the word picture, and then the relationship that lies behind that, which is His own relationship with His Father. The relationship between the shepherd and His sheep, the relationship between the Son and his father. Of course, this was an everyday scene that Jesus was describing, but I don't think He was describing it because it was an everyday scene. I think He was describing it because He was claiming to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament Scriptures. Remember how David speaks about the Lord as being the shepherd. I remember David was not the first person to say that. Jacob was the first person to say that. The Lord who has been my shepherd, bless my grandsons, he says in Genesis 48. And David's certainly not the last person to use that picture of the Lord. Remember Ezekiel's prophecy that in the, in the face of all the false shepherds who would come, and Jesus speaks about them here in the face of all the false shepherds who would come, God would send a good shepherd, a passage that we'll presumably read in a few weeks' time at Christmas time, about Bethlehem being the place of his birth and how he would come to be the shepherd of his people. So, yes, this is an illustration that the people would understand, but Jesus is using it because it's really a prophecy that he is fulfilling. He is the Lord who is the shepherd, and He wants to describe for His disciples the relationship that He has with His sheep. I want you to notice three emphasis that He makes. The first is this, this shepherd sacrifices Himself for His sheep. It is actually the dominant note in these verses. Jesus says it again and again and again and yet again. The mark of this good shepherd is that he lays down his life for the sheep. And if you think about it, in that description Jesus gives of his own ministry, he, he really sums up what he's going to do on the cross, that he, he is going to experience a violent death He's going to lay down his life. That his death is not going to be a tragedy. His death is going to be substitutionary. I lay down my life for the sheep. And his death is voluntary. You notice how he puts it? 
No one takes my life from me. It's an an amazing statement when you think about it because from a human point of view, they did take his life from him. But Jesus is saying they may think that they are the ones who are masters of the situation when they crucify me. What they do not understand, as you remember Peter says in the day of Pentecost, is that all of this will take place according to the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. I voluntarily am going to lay down my life for the sheep. It's very similar to the argument that Paul uses, isn't it, in Romans chapter 5. You wouldn't die for somebody who was clinically righteous, maybe for somebody who was good. But the thing about what Jesus did is it was when we were sinners, when we were ungodly, when we were his enemies, that Christ died for us. And so, first of all, Jesus is emphasizing that his relationship to his sheep, this is, this is absolutely cardinal if you want to be a Christian. This is what you need to understand lies at the heart of the gospel. Until you can say, he died for me, you cannot be one of his sheep. Because Jesus says, this is what I do for my sheep. I die for them. But in addition to that, he then says that the shepherd knows his sheep. And he uses this beautiful picture from the ancient and indeed the modern near east of the shepherd arriving in the morning and calling out the sheep. Uh, They recognize the tone. They don't speak the same language. Even Jewish sheep do not understand Hebrew. They, They recognize the tone in his voice as he calls them. There is a, there is a, there is a tone of shepherdly care in his voice as he calls them out and, uh, he knows them by name. He calls them out by name. And he knows them because they've been given to him. It's interesting from this point on in John's gospel, that becomes Jesus' favorite way of describing his disciples. Those the Father has given to me. Incidentally, have you ever thought about yourself that way as a Christian? You ever wake up in the morning and think, well, who am I? Well, if I'm one of his sheep, if I'm a Christian, here here is my identity. I am someone the Heavenly Father has given to his Son and said, Son, he's yours. She's yours. It's a, it's a profoundly moving expression, isn't it, of the, the love that He has for us. Why, why are we so important to Him? Because there's, we, we come to realize there's nothing in ourselves to commend ourselves to Him. So, why are we so important to Him? Answer, because we've been given to Him by His heavenly Father. He has died for us, and we've been given to Him. 
and, and He knows us. And then you remember how later on in the passage He goes on to say He also gathers us. He says to the disciples, there are other sheep that I need to bring. They don't belong to this flock. Presumably, He is at least speaking here about the Gentiles. One might say He's speaking about us. Most of us do not have much Jewish blood flowing through our veins. We didn't belong by nature to this part of His flock. But he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring other sheep because there are other sheep my Father has given to me. There are other sheep for whom I'm going to lay down my life. And what's the sign? Well, he tells us, isn't he? My sheep hear and recognize my voice. That's how you know you are a sheep in the flock of the shepherd, the Lord Jesus. Because when you sing Horatius Bonner's hymn, I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. You're able to sing that, not because you have read the words in Matthew chapter 11, but because you have heard the voice of Jesus speaking to you through His Word and calling you by name. And you recognize his voice because he seems to know you the way no other does. He seems to speak to you in a tone of love and compassion that nobody else does. He loves you the way no one else does. He has been willing to give up his life in death for your sake. Stuart used the word in his opening prayer this morning awaken. That's just exactly what it's like, isn't it? Spiritually, we are asleep. Spiritually, we sleep in the sleep of death, like Lazarus sleeping in his grave. And then something begins to awaken us. At first, it's just a, a sound that strikes our eardrums, and then, you remember the days, hope it doesn't happen to you if you're growing up now, Father Mercy, Sinclair, time to get up. And you immediately recognize the voice. And that's what happens, isn't it? And, and it happens in all kinds of ways, privately, when we're reading the Bible. Sometimes when a word from the Scriptures comes into our minds and we're we're conscious that God is speaking to us through this sometimes. Often, thank God, it happens to us under the ministry of the Word. And, and if you're a preacher, this is one of the most amazing things. You realize you're just a farmer. You're throwing seed around. You have no idea what's going on. No idea at all what is going on. And nobody else has any idea what is going on in your mind and heart. But when the Spirit takes the Word as Jesus gathers His sheep from this other part of His flock, we're able to say, yes, I too heard His voice. I recognized His accent. I knew Christ was speaking to me. And I was being called into His fellowship. But then as He as he narrates this, remember the movement again. At first, he's using a figure of speech without any explanation. 
We know what they didn't seem to understand. We know he's talking about himself as the good shepherd. Then it's almost as though he sees they, are, they have no idea what I'm talking about. They are so blind they can't understand that I'm talking about myself. And so he begins to explain that he is this good shepherd. And then right at the end of this passage, you'll notice how the language of the good shepherd seems to seems to develop into the language of the Son with the Father. And he says, for example, I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father I notice what's happening that what he said about the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is anchored in what he now describes as the relationship between the son and his father. And the movement is so is so imperceptible. It's it's a kind of seamless movement that brings you into the very in a sense into the very origin of the gospel. Not just in the incarnation, but in this sublime relationship between the Father and the Son, the Son and the Father. And he does this in order to explain to us what it actually means to be sheep who are brought into the sheepfold. What it means is that you are, you are being brought into the fellowship of the Son with the Father. Later on uh, in 1 John, John speaks as though he's been stunned by the thought, our fellowship, our relationship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's, it's as though it's dawned on him what Jesus was praying for him later on in chapter 17, verse 3, when he says, Father, this is eternal life. This is what I give to my sheep. Eternal life is to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have said. Interesting that the, the, the ultimate background to all this is in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word who is the Son of God, who came to be the shepherd of the sheep. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was towards God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face to face with God. He was in the bosom of the Father, face to face with the Father. And now he has, he has come in order to bring us into that fellowship, to know God, to have fellowship with God. And that's what it means to be a Christian. It means that because you're able to say, he died for me, you understand, as Jesus says here, he died in order to give you abundant life, eternal life, and this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ, his Son, whom he has sent. 
But then there's something even more amazing John records for us in verse 17. So now he's talking about this wonderful fellowship between the Father and the Son into which Christians are brought by the Spirit, awakened to enter into that fellowship to know God. And he says, says Jesus, now you, you need to understand what has gone on in that fellowship. He says, for this reason, this is verse 17, the Father loves me because I lay down my life. For this reason, Father, why do you love your Son? Father, because He laid down His life for the sheep. Now, that cannot mean, cannot mean that the Father began to love the Son because Jesus died for us on the cross. The Father loved the Son from all eternity. The Father's love for His Son is not conditioned upon His Son's obedience on the cross, but perhaps we can understand it this way. A good father always loves his son, but there are, there are moments in the son's life when, when that love will, will seem to kind of burst out. Um, it might be when he scores his first goal or she puts the ball into the net, if there is a net in hockey, or wins a prize, or does something courageous, and the father's heart, that's, that's my boy, how much I love him. And I think this is what Jesus is saying, helping us to see that what is, what is for him the darkest of hours is the hour in which, in a sense, his father's love comes to fullest expression because of what He's willing to do for us, dying, dying for us on the cross. Maybe the nearest I've come to it uh, in, in observing it is when I've had the privilege of conducting the funeral services of, of men who have served in the American military. And you've all seen this, you've seen this in the movies, you've seen it in a television program. It is moving beyond words to be there. See the casket covered in the American flag, the stars and stripes, and the funeral detail coming forward and taking off the flag and folding it with, with military precision into a triangle in which only the stars are visible and then the the commanding officer of the detail going to the nearest relative and, and presenting the flag. Uh, I, could, I could tell you the words they say, but I think I would crack up saying them. It is so moving because what you see is a combination that you almost never see in human experience of the depth of grief and the heights of pride, the depths of sorrow, and the overwhelming 
sense, the accentuated sense of love as this symbol is presented to a family member as an expression of honor for the faithful service of their loved one. It's no wonder that Paul says he's God the Father has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, heaven and earth and under the earth. When you think how much he loved him because he died for us on the cross. It's overwhelming. I've often said, and perhaps said here, if ever there was a moment, if we could just imagine, if ever there was a moment when the Heavenly Father was able to sing with the deepest meaning, my Jesus, I love you. I know you are mine. If ever I loved you, my Jesus, tis now. And it is such a moment, isn't it, of the Father's love for the Son and the bond of the Holy Spirit and the Son's amazing love for His Father that He would do this, as Jesus says here, in obedience to the charge of His Father. The love of the Father for the Son, the love of the Son for the Father, and the amazing reality that believers are caught up into this, that the love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father is at one and the same time, the love of the Father and the love of the Son for us, so that we are able to sing, my Jesus, I love you. I know you are mine. For you, all the pleasures of sin, I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. Have you ever heard that voice? Calling you. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad and found in him a resting place. And he has made me glad. He is a good shepherd. Hear him. Follow him. Let us trust him. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have promised to be the shepherd of your sheep. We thank you that through the shedding of your blood, you have brought to us the salvation that we need from our sin, our bondage, our weariness, our desperate, desperate need of purpose and significance. You've loved us with this amazing love. Oh, help us, help us, we pray, to taste it as we 
think about what you have done for us. And as you bring us by your Spirit into this fellowship that you have with your Father. Oh, we pray that as we live the rest of this week, it may be conscious that we are the most privileged people in all the world to have been loved by the eternal Son of the eternal Father. Pour out that love into our hearts, we pray, by your Spirit, that we may be helped to live for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.